This is WCN. The Whole Care Network. You talk. We listen. Content presented on the following podcast is for information purposes only. Views and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent views of the Whole Care Network. Always consult your physician for medical and fitness advice, and always consult your attorney for legal advice. And thank you for listening to the Whole Care Network. Like, think about it, and then you can do it. If you think about it, you can achieve it and do it and be wildly successful. Have our stories, and by sharing them, we can truly show the power of the human spirit. Welcome to another episode of Gratitude to Latitude Stories of Resilience and Hope. I am super psyched for yet another episode. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Tom Prather. So, we met on BYLR. And Tom is the CEO at Blue Wave Video Production Agency and Making Waves Podcast. So, Tom, it's a pleasure to meet you. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to it's a pleasure to finally do this. We've been back and forth a few times on all the social platforms, meeting in BYLR. So it's a pleasure to have this conversation with you. I always love learning from other people, having conversations, and someone reached out yesterday and just said, I'm loving these guests that you're having and the conversations and the insight that it brings to to everyone who's listening. And you're a fellow BYLR, so that is Build Your Life Resume. We attend this kind of coaching classes online with Jesse Itzler, and so I'm so glad you reached out, and I'd like to begin with this question. So I talk about who you are when you were younger, because a lot of times when we are seven or eight, we are our most authentic, and it's before people said, oh, you know, you can't sing, or you can't draw, or you're supposed to do this. It's when you're truly most authentic. So I like to go back to your childhood and ask a question about maybe something that happened when you were a child or an interest or a talent that you had that really parlays into what you're doing today. Hmm. That is a great question. I don't know if there's one in particular thing, but the one consistent thread when I was a kid and that that has gotten me to where I am now, my daughter calls me a, a man child. So it probably is. Wait, how old is your daughter? She's 12. She's 12. And she calls you a man child. So she's a precocious 12. She is. And my nine-year-old son agrees. (laughs) But yeah, I've always been a big dreamer. So I remember when I was a kid, just dreaming of these things I wanted to do and this life I wanted to have. Even, I mean, even from a young, young, young age. And I don't know where I got that from. I was big into music. Even then, they thought I was nuts because um, 
I guess when I was like six or seven, Star Wars came out. Five, I was five. I locked myself in my room for, they say two years, just listening <laughs> to the John Williams soundtrack of Star Wars on my record player. And I'm a musician. I taught myself how to play piano that year. While you were locked in the bedroom. No. So it's interesting. It's So my grandfather owned an electrical business. And my mom, rather than putting me in like a daycare nursery kind of situation, so the story goes, that she became my grandfather's bookkeeper because his whole like complex was at their 12-acre, I don't want to call it an estate because that sounds obnoxious, but at one point they had horses and, and that kind of thing. So we had a decent farmhouse spread. My grandmother would sit in a chair for the first five years of my life, you know, before I went into kindergarten. And uh, she would sit in a rocking chair, as I remember all old people did back then. And she would watch all these shows. She had a Betamax recorder, so she taped everything. So she would watch all of the Wheel of Fortunes and all the game shows and, and Dallas and all those shows. And I would sit there on the piano and probably drive her crazy and just try to pick out the melodies of the shows. And then eventually that progressed to learning where the keys were and all that stuff. But I say all that to say it was kind of like this, well, why not? What I just taught myself how to play, in theory, with limitation, how to play the piano. Well, I want to do this, so I would go do that. And I wouldn't see barriers as a child. I think that's what I'm getting around to. So I thought all these dreams could come true. And, and quite honestly, a lot of the things I, I dreamt about did come true. And um, I still do that today. So do you think it was the beginning of manifestations? You know what? I'm not big on like the titles of things because it sounds goofy to me. But yes, when you strip it down to the nuts and bolts of it, I think so. Because I, I do know that, you know, when athletes envision being in sit certain situations, like at the Super Bowl and they're down and when they get there, hopefully they kind of have already been there before, even if it was in their mind. So I, I do know it works. But yeah, I dreamt a lot as a kid. I would, you know, listen to music and dream about stuff and think about stuff and daydream. And it's been great. I'm so glad you mentioned daydreaming because, so first of all, I appreciate the the share about your grandmother because I I learned to play on my grandmother's organ, play piano, which I don't play anymore. I don't, and I probably played very little then, but she owned a deli and I I would practice on her organ while she watched Jeopardy in the background. So, and every once in a while, she would come downstairs with a, a ginormous accordion in her hands. And she was a, a German, had a German background, never wore dresses. So she always had pants on and was a rebel in her era and would say, you can do anything. So it's just, that just brought me back to a memory that I didn't even know I had. But the important part about daydreaming, so, you know, it's something I think about a lot as our children, and you have young children, my children are all adults. When I was raising children, I used to make sure that they had time without screens, without, never had a television in their bedroom. They were limited to video games, to screens, I think like an hour a day. That's all I gave them because I wanted them to have that time to daydream. I'm wondering, do you instill that in your own children? Yes. So they're very different in that regard. My son, he's nine, and he's into... So he does this thing, and I hope I don't embarrass him. 
He does this thing. If you do, you don't have to share this with him. <laughs> he does this thing when he gets really excited watching something on TV or just thinking about something. He does this thing where he just he walks around in circles, like around like the dining room table. And he's like doing all the motions and the sound noise, the sound effects and everything. And he's in his own head and he's just dreaming up this whole other world. And I say whole other world because how my kids are different is he tends to dream, daydream and fantasy, you know, like Pokemon kind of stuff or fighting the bad guy or that kind of thing. And my daughter dreams of like realistic, more like me, where I was dreaming of realistic things that I wanted to happen. So she's into music now. And she reminds me so much of myself in that regard of I want to meet this person and I want to be involved in this and I want to be a fashion designer and make this and and that kind of thing. But what's eerie about both situations is, and, and to go back to my childhood a little bit, is that I never thought there was a governor on my dreams. I just, I want, cause why would you, well, what's the point of having dreams if you think there's a cap and a ceiling to it? Like what could happen, the outcome. Mm. So it wasn't anything conscious, but when I, think back to that, I, it was wide open. I thought I could do anything. And some of the things that I, like when I was, a, I was one of the few people that graduated college that knew exactly what they wanted to do the rest of their life. Cause I knew what I wanted to do around seven years old. I knew I wanted to be a film director and, and a musician and be involved in that world. I don't know where it came from, but I would dream about it. And that's what happened. I ended up, you know, working, I wanted to work and meet Van Halen. And when right out of college, I found my way into a situation on my own accord that made that happen. So I look at kind of like my timeline of, okay, I had that dream. Well, that actually, that dream came true. And I had that dream and I made that happen. And it wasn't a matter of, okay, I want to, I tell this to my clients all the time, marketing and branding is the same as, is wanting to, you know, go on a really nice date with a really nice looking girl. You can't think about it and then hide in your house, nor can you think about <laughs> having this commercial that you want to brand with, but never put it out kind of thing, but yet be disappointed when nothing happens, when you never let Okay, I need to stop there for a second because that analogy is perfect. <laughs> have you read the book Blue Ocean Shift? I haven't. Okay, but it's all about having, and I have a huge quote on at the Hope Loves Company office, and it's that not verbatim, but basically it's it's about the fact that if you want something to happen, you first have to envision it. Mm-hmm. But then you need the people and the energy to move it forward. And then you need the application. Yeah. Without application, nothing will ever change. And I love that idea. That, and basically, that's what you're saying here. You had the vision for doing all these things in the dreams. And then you started to chip away. Well, yes, that's correct. I'll tell you a quick story. I've told the story a handful of times on my podcast um, because it it um, we lost Eddie Van Halen last year, and he was one of my largest heroes. We've had a couple of people on the podcast and related in re, you know related to that topic. So I've told the story a handful of times. So I'll tell it again here. I had graduate just graduated University of Maryland Film School, and um, huge Van Halen fan, huge, and a lot of their songs when David Lee Roth left and Sammy Hagar came on board was about dreams and about thinking that you can do anything and, and kind of that follow your heart kind of thing. And really spoke to me. My, my parents had just divorced. 
I was going through a hard time and um, that spoke to me, you know, it touched my heart. Just graduated college. I had was talking to a neighbor and I was like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Just casual conversation. And he's like, oh, I'm going to the Trisha Yearwood concert. And I immediately thought, why, why would you go to that? But anyway, <laughs> uh, such a fun, cool thing to do. Uh, difference so, of musical suppose. choices. <laughs> I, li- I like it now. <laughs> but I thought, you know, he's like, oh, I'm going backstage. And he told me this whole story. And I remember walking across the street. I remember this like it happened yesterday. I remember walking across the street going, I want to meet, I want to meet Eddie Van Halen. How do I? He's meeting her. I, why can't I meet? So I, had, I had immediately had that. Why not? Why can't I? And I kind of unknowingly reverted back to, well, well, I don't know why I can't because I'm a drink. You know, this is the things I've thought why not? since I was a kid. Why not? So I pulled out the yellow, the white pages and I knew they were on Warner Brothers Records. I, Tom, you just dated yourself. I know, I know. I'm old. Because <laughs> I know what white pages are oh, sure. or yellow pages. <laughs> so I I found out the number of Warner Brothers Records in New York and I called them, cold called. And I said, hey, so I need photo pass. I need press credentials. I need an interview and I need backstage pass for the Van Halen concert at this date at this location. And I just kind of like, cringe thinking, oh, what are they going to say? And she's like, okay, Tamara Wilson was her, was my contact there. And wow. she said, uh, okay, just send a letterhead. And I hung up the phone and I thought, what the hell's a letterhead? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because we had processors back then, you know, we didn't have, there were no computers really. Right. So the only typewriters, thing, yeah. processors. <laughs> so the only thing I could think of is I went back to the University of Maryland, went to their Diamondback newspaper. I had never stepped foot in that office before. And you weren't a writer there. No, I w- went to the film school there, film and TV school. So I went to talk to the editor. He didn't know I was coming. It was a complete cold call visit. And when I walked in, there was this like half wall partition between the waiting room and all the offices. And on there was a stack of letterhead. So I noticed that, had a backpack on, and I walked into his office and I turned it around and said, well, I'm doing an article for Warner Brothers. Do you want it? And he goes, Absolutely. So I said, all right, I'll give it to you. So when I left, I grabbed a portion of that stack of letterhead. And that started my career off being a concert photographer. And it really developed my, well, why not? Why can't this happen? And it validated everything that I had thought of or dreamt of prior, because that was the pinnacle. I mean, I just met Eddie Van Halen and and the rest of the band. And that later turned into doing that for another tour. And that turned into a, a short film that I worked on with Sammy Hagar and then a, a film festival later and getting invited to certain situations and things. And as of 2019, he was coming around on his solo tour and I made a contact or called my old contact and introduced my daughter to this person that meant so much to my life. And it was really full circle. So I, wow. I say all that to say, because you asked, do you do that with your kids? I try to put them in situations where just like that, where, you know what, daddy dreamt this 30 years ago, and now it's coming full circle because you're meeting this, you're meeting him, and you are a part of the dream now, now go go do this for yourself. You can do this too. You can dream whatever you want to dream about and, and fulfill it and achieve it. So yeah, I, we're really big on that in this house. Like think about it and then you can do it. If you think about it, you can achieve it and do it and be wildly successful. I absolutely love that. And I love the story. So basically what what you just said is you have to have a vision. 
And you really need to think outside the box. And it's funny because I'm wondering, as I talk to entrepreneurs, if there is, from the time that we're little, this different thinking, this different way of thinking. Because I was always like that. And (laughs) I'll share publicly something that I did similarly. I can't believe I'm admitting this, but (laughs) when I was in college and I was out and about, I met this guy and I thought he was adorable. And I had his first name and his last name. That's all I had. And I knew where he went to college. And so met him this one night, never saw him again, wanted to get in touch with him. So I actually called the college and said I wanted to interview him and asked if I could have his contact. I did want to interview him, by the way. And so they did. They gave me his contact information and I called and we went out on a date. Nice. (laughs) And I can't even believe I remember that. So thanks for reminding me. But, you know, I think that if you want something unique to happen, you have to give it a unique effort. Sure. Right? If you do the same thing everybody else is doing, it's going to be the same result. So I love the fact that you brought that up and that you shared it because it's innovative to what you did was innovative. And I think a lot of times entrepreneurs do approach life that way. You know, they think outside the box and they also have this imagination where anything's possible. Well, I, I have a belief and it, it's unfortunately become political now, but I don't mean it to be. So right now there's a lot of talk with equal opportunity. And I, you know, who doesn't believe in that? I mean, everyone should have equal opportunity. Where I differ is I don't believe that there should be equal outcome because the outcome is dependent on you, how creative you are. So if, if we all have an equal slate at everything, which we should, it's really up to you to what happens with that. And it depends on, you know, work ethic. It depends on following through. It depends on how big you shot, how far you were willing to take it. So your effort should equal your outcome or your outcome should equal your effort. I'll ask you a question. Why did the Indian dance, like the Indian rain dance, why did that work? Because they believed it. No, they didn't stop walking until it rained. So the point of that story is if you keep doing it, eventually it's going to rain. And eventually you will get what you're working for in some way or another. It's just a matter of, who does that mean? Oh, persistence. Yeah. There's that meme I see all the time that one's above each other. And it's the same situation as like someone digging through like a a cave or something. And one of them quits. But what they want is literally right. Like it looks like in the meme inches away from the last kind of pickaxe dig. It's basically saying you're that close, but just keep going, keep going, keep going. There's actually a statistic. I think it's like 90% of people who give up were right at the moment of success. Sure. Like they quit right before success actually takes place. And it's it's more about persistence and your determination to stick it through, which determines your success, which is, I believe, from my experience, to be true as well. I need reminders of that all the time. You forget, mm-hmm. even though you have success going forward and working hard. And then, you know, there's sometimes in life where you're doing a new situation. You're like, oh, it's never going to work out. And I need reminders that I just did 75 hard. Have you heard of that program? 
I have. I've been invited to do it. Okay. So for some of the listeners who don't know, it's it was created by Andy Frizzella, who owns First Form. What does he have? Supplements, health supplements, like protein powders and things like that. Vitamins. Yeah, vitamins. And he, very successful. One of the one of the most, just great company, one of the most profitable supplement companies in the world, I think. But at five years ago, he was 350 pounds. And he would be hired for, he would speak at these keynote speeches and feel like a fraud because he's selling these health supplements, but he's 350 pounds. So he came up with this program called for himself only, 75 Hard, because it's 75 straight days where you have to work out two times a day for 45 minutes each. One of them has to be outside. You have to pick any diet and stick with it. No cheat days, no alcohol. No sugar. Well, that's not, if that's a part of your diet, then that's a part of your diet. In my case, my diet was no added sugar, which you'd be surprised. It's pretty much everything out there. Exactly. There's a couple other things, but they, they give you this app with all the 75 days, if I remember correctly, in gray. And then once you complete the day of all those five things, you had to read like 10 pages of a, a nonfiction, kind of like a self-help book, uh, and then drink a gallon of water every day. And once you completed a day, you clicked on the date and it turned red. I was claustrophobic for the first three weeks because I saw all those gray days and thought, how in the world am I going to do this? And I wanted to quit every single day because I, it was overwhelming. And a friend of mine that I met, Scotty Hand in BYLR, we were talking the night before I decided to do it. And he goes, you just got to decide to do it. Like, just completely decide that you're going to do it. There is no plan B. There is no option. And that's what I did. I sat there with myself thinking about that and thinking, all right, I just have to literally flip a, a mental switch in my head and go, there is no other option. This is what's going to do. Yeah, I'm going to do it. So although I struggled uh, mentally with that, those first two to three weeks, there was no option. I knew I was going to do it. But it really taught me the lesson of just what I really struggled with is, and what I learned about myself was, I'm so worried about tomorrow and those rest of the days and day 75 or day six, I'm never going to get to day 14. That's so far away. And reality is one, we're not guaranteed we're going to make it to day 14 in life anyway. But two, all I have to do today, I mean, today is all I need to do. Or the next workout is all I need to do. And that's what I, it was. So I, I had cancer kidney cancer in 2018, beginning of 2018. And I was one of the lucky ones where just had to pull the kidney out. I didn't have to go through chemotherapy or, or radiation or anything like that. So for me, it was more of a mental game of, oh crap, I have it. I had to wait seven weeks to get it out after my diagnosis. So that was hard. After that, you go into a protocol. So every three months for the first couple, you know, six months or eh, about a first year, maybe it's every three months you get a CAT scan. And then you're petrified that it's going to show up again or mine had not spread, but you never know. And then you graduate to six months. And then I had just graduated recently to a year where I don't get checked for a year. And I'm convinced people think I have Tourette's because I subconsciously would think of, oh, crap, I got this test coming up. What is it going to be like? And I, in order to get that thought literally out of my head, I would shake it real quick, my head and say no. And it wasn't anything I intended on doing. It just happened naturally one day. So till this day, if I think that, when those dates come up, I literally kind of shake my head and go, no. And then it leaves my head and I move on with my life. 
I found myself doing that for 75 hard because I thought, oh, I got to do tomorrow. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing tomorrow. I'm doing today. So that ble- concept bled into my work because we kind of touched on it before. I have clients, I'm, I'm in charge of their branding, and I have a lot of clients that come and say, new clients that say, oh, I just did this ad and I put it on Facebook and nothing happened. Well, now I go, okay, well, I'm on day one of 75 hard. I went to the gym and I still look the same. <laughs> it's the same thing. Of course, nothing happened. You have to keep doing this every day and you will see those incremental results eventually. And then you'll get it. And then it's that everyday persistence and I, in life, I have found that I, every once in a while, I'll get those reminders. So 75 hard was a reminder of that. Getting cancer was a reminder of that. So you get slapped in the face of, okay, I, I keep forgetting, but I just got to be consistent and persistent and keep doing what I need, whatever that is, whatever the is, is just keep doing it. So how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And when you look at all of those dates, and it's it's so true for so many people, I think, right? When you look at the big picture and of what it's going to entail, it's immobilizing. It's absolutely immobilizing. But if you think, just today, today I have to do this, and that's it, just for, for the next 12 hours, and then tomorrow is a new day and tomorrow is a new challenge. But if you just stay present, I think that's so true because it can be overwhelming to look at the big picture. I also want to go back to your you know, sharing of your kidney cancer. Sure. How is life different when you've had a kidney removed? Physically? Physically, mentally, yeah. I know a friend who received a new kidney, but I don't know anyone who actually has had one removed until now. Wow. Glad I could be your first. Really nothing um, physically. In the beginning, I had to be more aware of certain things I could. They don't want you to be engaged in any like really physical activity or, or, or impact driven activity. Like, no. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Because I apparently the one kidney kind of overcompensates and it physically gets larger and therefore it's more susceptible to like injury. Do you still process liquids? I mean, everything's still happens as effectively with one kidney? I don't notice a difference other than I have to be aware of how much water I need to drink because I, I need to drink a little bit. I need to drink more water. Mm-hmm. But other than that, physically, no, it was all mental for me, really all mental. Occasionally, things that I like, I remember, and I've gotten past a lot of this stuff, but in the beginning, the first time, it was about six months after surgery, we were packing for to go away for the week to the beach and I was putting a surfboard on my car and I realized oh, I, I can't take this <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't want to risk falling off and being pounded in the, you know, in the sand underneath the water at the ocean floor and having some type of, and I was uber paranoid. I don't care now. I do that now. I haven't been skiing yet, which I, I think I will. How long has it been, Tom? I had my kidney out Valentine's day, 2018. I'm so glad that everything went well, and I'm glad you also brought up your surfboard because you are about making waves. I looked up the definition of, you know, we all say it, right? Making waves to create a significant impression. And I've always been someone, I think, who likes to make waves and also to create 
uh, ripples, mm-hmm. right, to create a positive impact. So tell me more about your company and the film that you do, the video production that you do. Sure. Well, like I said before, I had known I wanted to be working video and TV and film since a little little kid. And the only thing that really has changed is just technology changes just really fast. So when I was in school, it was all about tape machines and turning the knobs to edit and kind of doing it the old school way. Now everything's digital. But what we do is we have the best of, I think, the best of both worlds where we produce content. And I say content, it used to be videos, but now it's kind of everything. Videos, website design, film, regular design. I'm just wrapping up a book cover for a client and doing their website and doing their video branding for their overall campaign. So we do all that, but then we marry that with the distribution strategy of an ad agency as well. So easily said is we'll make stuff for you to be noticed, but then we also know how to get it out there and distribute it and the strategy behind it for people to actually see it and engage. The whole, the full package. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So making waves puts you behind the camera. Do you provide the music for it as well? I know that you play, that you're a musician. Do you do more than one thing? Do you wear more than one hat? In some cases, yes. So I have an issue of control, probably. (laughs) Have you admitted it here publicly for the first time? Or is this already a a common uh, understanding? I was meeting a client at their home (laughs) last night. And um, we had talked about we had talked about kids and, and dreams and stuff. My my son, who's nine, wants a bird. And my client has this bird. They have a bunch of pets. It's like Dr. Doolittle over there. But <laughs> they have this bird that they have three cages in the house and it just flies around the house and goes to cage to cage. And a couple of weeks ago or, or so, I was meeting with them at their house and um, and the bird just flies. First of all, the bird was zipping around all over the room. But then first it was free, you're saying, right? right? And then it's okay. And all of a sudden I'm talking with one um it's a husband and wife. I'm talking with the husband and the bird lands on his head. And I just started I'm like, how do you have a conversation with someone when the bird's on her head? (laughs) What kind of bird is this? This is a big bird? I was like a cockatiel, I think. Okay. And uh, anyway, my my son really wants really talks about birds all the time. So I said to him the other day, I said, Hey, listen, I gotta go back out there on Thursday. Do you wanna come with me? I'll see if it's okay. Shouldn't be a big deal, but while I'm meeting with them, you can play with the bird, you know? <laughs> so it's that whole kind of thing of putting your kids in situations where they are closer to, you know, if you can facilitate helping them achieve, you know, one of their dreams or as, as, as small as a, I want to handle a bird, try to do that. But we were having a conversation last night of, I was showing them a web design and they said something to the effect of, oh, what theme is this? I said, this is not a theme. I created this by hand in Photoshop. And my process is I create literally everything I want to see in my head. And then I hand that off to my web team and say, make this exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's the control. I need to I need to do that. So I need to be high behind the camera and I need to be behind the editing suite. And it's just because my the vision in my head, I need to see that. I need to follow that through. It may be annoying to other people, but it gets the job. (laughs) We all work in different ways. And uh, I can understand being a perfectionist and wanting to have control of those things. I I think it's interesting. My children don't believe me now, but when I was younger, 
And my husband, before my husband had ALS, uh, my late husband, I was definitely that way. And then when when something like that happens uh, and you don't have the time, I, I quickly lost the, uh, the goal of being a perfectionist and probably went a little bit more the other way while raising three kids with my house and, and dinners and all of that. I was just like, oh, we'll just order pizza. It's all good. The problem is um, it leads into everyday life. Where I remember the story when my wife wanted to build like a little fountain, like a tabletop fountain. And I like to do that kind of stuff. And I'm like, all right, I'll build it for you. And I went to see it. Show me what you're talking about. And it was this, whatever the fountain was, I said, all right, we'll do something like that. And there was a conversation that was held about, well, I don't want brass. I want this. And I'm like, well, it's not going to look good. And like, well, and then we got <laughs> to this banter about, and, and, and I had to stop and think, it's not like, I'm not working right now. I just, let's just do this how she wants it. But it was killing me because I just knew it didn't look right. Well, you can have it that way, but it's going to really look crappy. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want it, go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> Your life. <go> ahead. <laughs> so we've been talking a lot about dreams. Tell me about dreams for kids in D.C. Yeah, that's ironic, right? Yeah, it is ironic. So I'm going to tell you how I got involved and try not to get in trouble for it. Okay. I'll leave out names. When okay. I started my company, I knew I wanted to do kind of like a quasi foundation, nothing official, but like have a foundation part of the company where I gave back. I believe I was placed here for a reason. And I, I believe God gave me these tools so I can benefit not just clients help sell cars and crap that they're making, but like have some impact in the world. So, But really good crap, right? Really, really good, crap. good crap that they're making. Absolutely. <laughs> but after a while, I was like, oh God, another one of these. <laughs> so I was working with a national organization. I won't mention who they were. And they were based somewhere else, but they had an office here. And then I was working with the local chapter of said organization. And I felt good about it at first because it was a, so, I mean, everybody knows this organization. And I would go to some of the events I was brought on to cover. And it just was like, it was like a networking event every single time. And it made me feel dirty because it just wasn't about what it was supposed to be about. And around that time, I was invited to the Gibson Guitar Studio down in Chinatown in DC for this Dreams for Kids event. It was like a fundraising event. I didn't know what that was. It sounded cool. I just wanted to go to that Gibson Guitar Studio and see what they had there. And I went there and it was all about providing opportunities with for kids with special needs, physical, mental, and the activities that they had talked about, a lot of them are like athletically minded. So, you know, a kid with special needs oftentimes doesn't have the opportunity to be on a hockey team or go to a prom, have a prom, go water skiing, you know, among other things. And I fell in love with it, the idea of it. So I called the uh, director, found out who he was, called the director the next day and said, all right, I've been working with this group. I'm going to not do that anymore. And here I am. I will do whatever you need me to do. And wow. that turned into becoming board, one of the initial board members a year or two later. And that was maybe 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago. So we've continued to march forward with our, our mission. and. Prior to COVID, they were mostly athletically minded. We partner with the majority of the pro teams in town. So the capital, we put 100 kids on the ice with the capital players. 
if the kids can be on skates, we'll put them on that or we'll, we'll utilize adaptive sleds like they use in the Paralympics. Each kid has a volunteer and a mentor with them at all times. And we'll put them on the, you know, the field with the Redskins, which is difficult for me because I'm a diehard lifelong cowboy fan. But I suck it up for the kids. I was preparing for that right. one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we have proms and adaptive water sled, water skiing and all sorts of things. Since COVID, we've kind of pivoted because we weren't able for the longest time to meet with the kids personally. So we would have cooking of cooking clinics and, and all sorts of things. What's become more popular is it the, eventually the kids graduate out of our program. So we want to make sure that they're prepared for the real world and the real workplace. So we put them through a program that we teach them how to do resumes and coach them mm-hmm. through interviews. And, and we graduate them out of the program, give them a computer and help them get them placed ideally in, in positions in town. So that's been really, really rewarding. Again, I've been on the, pro, been on the board for, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And I've seen these kids grow and I knew them when they were six years old and now they're getting into their twenties and it's really cool. It's really amazing. I've watched kids show up to an event, nonverbal autistic, and they left the event. I watched them with my own eyes, tell their, tell verbally, tell their parents how much fun they had. So it's just, it's just wild. It sounds like you found your purpose in dreams for kids and it's a reminder Anyone out there who donates to a nonprofit, volunteer, because sometimes we just give money and we have, we really, you know, we read about a nonprofit, so we think we know what they do. But when you volunteer, you really see the cause in action and you want to make sure that it, it resonates with you in all aspects, right? How they talk to people, how they enter the phones, you know, where their money goes, <laughs> All of that is relevant, and it's something as as a nonprofit founder that I I like to talk about because you know you hear these stories of nonprofits who give one percent of their donations actually to their mission, and it's like what? I'm not <laughs> you know? I'm not saying that the original nonprofit that I volunteered at originally and gave my time to I'm not saying that they weren't really concerned of a cure. But what I am saying is that what's really rewarding for me is that I see a difference, a physical difference in these kids immediately, even if it lasts for that hour that they're together. But I don't know any kids that on a day-to-day basis have the opportunity to meet their heroes and engage with them and get on the ice or the baseball field or, or whatever, or think they can ice skate. And these kids have every challenge in front of them to say that you can't ice skate because you can't walk. But then they get on these adaptive sleds and they're just made a goal against the capital and it changes their life. It really does. So I see that impact immediately. I don't have to wait for the money to go to some lab somewhere and maybe they'll come up with something like I, the money's used right then and there and I can watch the difference on their faces. And, you know, you keep in touch with the parents and, you see them five years down the road and they're like, they're still talking about that goal. You're an immediate part of the success, hands-on part of the success. Yeah. I mean, again, it has nothing to do with me, but it's just, it's so awesome to be there to witness it because so much in life, you don't see that or you, you're not fortunate enough to witness it. You know, you miss it, but it's really cool to be a part of it. 
Well, I have truly enjoyed this conversation in so many ways. I'd love to have another one with you, I think. I have two final questions for you. One is, how do people get in touch with you if you want to be (laughs) contacted? And the other is, you have shared that you battled kidney cancer, that you're a dreamer. Is there a quote or a book that you can recommend for others who are trying to find their way? Great question. And there is. What the book that I literally give to everybody. We had, uh, what is it, Xfinity Wi-Fi in the house? And there's a guy, the, the guy, the tech guy came and he's having a bad day. He was surly. And uh, he's in the basement. He was just, he was there for maybe 20 minutes. And surly is the perfect word. He was just having a bad day. He mentioned somebody else's girlfriend, like all this stuff. He just looked beaten down. And he came up. I had gotten the book. I keep a couple of them here. I had signed it inside and I gave it to him. And I said, listen, something spoke to me that you need this book. And here, here it is. And the book is called The Last Arrow. It was written by, it was actually written by a pastor, Erwin McManus. He is the head of Mosaic Church, pretty famous church. It's all, it's really interesting story. It's, the book is all about this biblical story about using, I'm not going to go into that, but about using all of your arrows in your quill and, and that kind of equate that to life. Use everything that you have in life while you're still here kind of thing. And the author had wrote that and was he was the, the day he needed to submit his edits, final edits for the publisher, he was diagnosed with cancer. He gets home from that diagnosis. He needed to kind of like wind down, needed a distraction. So he sat down to start the edit of the book. And the very first page he randomly opens up to in his own book was, you are dying. And then he reads, con- continues to read and it said, but we're all dying. So it made, it had an impact on his life. I was halfway through reading that book when I was diagnosed with cancer. And then once the day I got home from that diagnosis, I was in the hospital a couple of days. And I picked up that book and started reading it from the beginning because I knew I'd have a whole different thing. And the, the one big thing from that book is if you have some in, think you have some impending doom or this you know, if you're in school and you have a report card coming out, or if you're at your work and you have this big project or you have a cancer test coming up or anything, don't waste that time. So if you have two weeks and you're dreading that for two weeks, you just wasted two weeks where very well, you're going to have a positive outcome, positive news coming up, right? So if you live the best life that you could for those two weeks, but you, you're told you have cancer or something else bad, well, at least you had the two best weeks of your life. And that's going to lead you and, and project you into fighting whatever it is that you need to do or, or understanding it. So that's the key to the book. And it really helped me through my process um, of getting past. And what is it title again? Called The Last Arrow by Erwin McManus. Yeah. I just gave one away two weeks ago. I, I love giving this book out and I get great feedback on it because it's just a book of hope and living for, the, for today, even if you have, if you're living through a bad circumstance. I will order that book today. How do people get in touch with you, Tom? For the most part, you can find me on the social. I don't really use Twitter anymore. It's become too toxic. But I'm a big fan of Instagram because I'm a visual person. So you can find me at I am Tom Prather handle. And then my podcast, just look up Making Waves with Tom Prather. You'll find it. I will be listening. Thank you so much, Tom, for this amazing conversation. Take care, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you. This is WCN.
the whole care network. You talk. We listen.